Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. Welcome back to the Dare to Multiply podcast, and we are in part two of Sowing and Reaping, the Four Fields Training. We are talking with Nathan Shank, who has been working in South Asia for many years. He's an old friend and somebody that God has used mightily to see this training go around the world. So many hundreds and hundreds of people have used it to train disciple makers. And Nathan explained in the last episode, if you missed that, go back and listen to it so that you'll know what this episode's about. But in the last episode, he explained what it is. In this episode, he's gonna be sharing with us uh, some stories of people who use this kind of a cycle, the, the empty field and then sowing the seed and then discipling those people and gathering them and then that repeated cycle and training leaders. He's going to be sharing some stories of what that actually looked like. Um, he's going to be telling us a little bit more about some of his concerns and also what he's excited about in the area of disciple multiplication. So this is a great episode ahead and we'll be right back with it in just a moment. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Or frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. Um, Nathan, tell us a story or two. Um, I'm sure you have hundreds of stories, maybe thousands, but tell us one or two stories of people who have, have gone through this process of of going to an empty field and doing this sowing and nurturing new growth, bundling it together in church formation and developing leaders and, and what's resulted. Um, yeah, please share with us a story you. or two. You know, uh, one of the, one of the I'll, I'll give you one that's early and one that's ongoing, you know. Um, I remember one of the very first trainings we were a part of, and it was even prior to living in as a neighbor nearby you, um, we were in uh, the far corners of Northeast India and working, there was a brother named, who took the name Israel, uh, came, coming out of a Hindu background, and uh, he was a street sweeper, you know. He worked as, uh, uh, from four in the morning till nine in the morning for uh, the government, the uh, Sarkar, the government there. In, uh, right. 
sweeping the street. He had an assigned neighborhood and, and a couple of thoroughfares, main roads he was to, to make sure to address daily. And he'd actually, Cindy, he'd actually won several civic awards, street sweeper of the year, you know. Just oh, wow. <laughs> diligence, go to his house and he'd have these little certificates uh, stapled to the wall. And right, Israel, right. Israel was a faithful believer, had been in a church for a little while, maybe three, five years. He'd already uh, uh, been, had been involved in seeing his family come to faith. But when, when he was trained and a brother who really mentored and invested, we got to be part of the training there with him. And in those days, watching Israel uh, begin to take the truths of his new identity in Christ, of his the expectation Christ had for him, the, um, the actual qualification that was the spirit of God in his heart and the word of God in his ear at that time, he began to go and to share, began to go and disciple. Four to nine, he would sweep the street every day from nine the rest of the day. He started going about church planting. He'd come home, wash, mm -hmm. have a meal. By 10 o'clock, he'd be out on the road engaging and chasing opportunities to share. And it wasn't long. It was six days a week. He was leading uh, house fellowships that became churches. Mm -hmm. And we realized even along the way there, uh, Israel was illiterate. He was listening to the word of God regularly, daily. He mm -hmm. was teaching those things he was hearing, but he wasn't able to read even his, uh, I'll just say, Awesomeese Bible. Uh, now we know a little more of the geography, but uh, you know what he did? I was amazed. I remember Israel so captivated by the word of God. His daughter was in tuition. She was in the after school program to learn to read Hindi in her school setting. She was getting extra tutoring with a number of other students, fourth graders. I think they were class five, four, class five, uh, learning how to read Hindi. And Israel would go and attend the class. He'd stand outside the door, the, the tuition, the one giving teaching instruction. I remember Israel related to us that the teacher began to ask, why are you here? You know, uh, and Israel would say, I'm making sure my daughter's getting her money's worth. Mm. <laughs> but Israel was actually trying to learn and along with his daughter, how to read the mm. word. He's motivated because he knows there's something precious there. At some point, he actually goes in and sits down in the class, uh, learns enough Hindi that daily he's able to take and, and open the word and really dig in and hear his Savior's voice uh, directly from the pages of Scripture. Uh, Israel's a church planner. Israel's fully qualified because the Spirit of God is there in him. And he's bivocational to this day, as far as I know, continues to work with the government's job and continues to go about making disciples and seeing them multiply. Uh, you know, that's that's what fills Carrie and I's tank. In a lot of ways, that's what keeps us going along the way to see people even out of an Indian caste system, a system that tells them almost fatalistically who they are and what they're capable of. But when the spirit of God, when the word of God empowers a person like Israel and you see that gospel light come on in their heart and their life and you realize that nothing's going to turn that off again. Mm, that's beautiful. The beauty of the gospel that gives dignity. I now, Israel realizes, can represent the creator. I can represent the savior who's changed my life. That's beautiful, right? You see that regularly. And we've had a chance to see that over and over, even uh, daily among disciples. And hmm. vicariously through chains of disciples far beyond us to say, 
the spirit of God is the one empowering. The spirit of God mm. is dignifying those people. No, I'm not untouchable. I'm a child of the king himself. And mm-hmm. uh, that for me is the one of the greatest joys. I, I like the Samaritan woman or the demoniac being empowered. What a surprise across the New Testament. Mm. See, let, let people like us represent him, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that. And, you know, for those who haven't lived in South Asia, I know some South Asians will be listening and they'll totally understand the context here. But for those who aren't from South Asia, for a street sweeper yeah. to be used of God in this way, you know, that's that's one of the lowest positions you can have in Indian society. And I remember there was a time or two where I went out and swept my porch, you know, <laughs> when we were living in India and the neighbor said, stop doing that. That's beneath you. Don't do that. That's for other people to do, you know, and uh, there's such a, a strong uh, both the caste system and also the classism that's there. And just that Jesus loves to use Amen. the ordinary. He loves to use what the world considers low. And I hope for those of you who are listening, that's an encouragement to you. You know, whatever, wherever you are on that strata, maybe you're wealthy, but you look at yourself and feel inadequate. Or maybe you're someone who um, in the world's eyes is is not somebody that, that you would think God would choose, but he He does, and he delights in that. And um, yeah. yeah, I think his smile is about as big as yours and mine, Nathan, <laughs> when when he's in heaven looking down and saying, hey, look who I'm using. Look what they're doing, because it's Praise me God. in them. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, then, how about another story, a more recent one, maybe? Sure, yeah, you know, uh, Israel faithful in his neighborhood, Israel faithful where he can walk, where he can move, and, and South Asia is that, Collect, even a city is a collection of little villages, everything within five or 10 minutes that might be needed in a lifespan, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there locally, that kind of example that's ongoing and, and uh, reproducing, uh, but it's true also across entire regions, you know? These days, uh, even now, uh, some of those networks that have reproduced and multiplied churches that plant churches and and generations of churches that we by which we count multiplication, some of those continue to organize and, and network and, and begin to resource, mm. um, begin to envision, and even we would say do some diagnostics, questions related to sustainability and health and, and focus. And uh, in some ways, networks that even get to a place where they've kind of got a an epistle ministry. They've kind of got a, a ministry inside their own network where they're writing letters and instructing and tra- ongoing training for churches as they mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like Paul writing letters back to churches that he had started, but then released, exited, mm-hmm. and carrying on doing the diagnosis of strengths and weaknesses and what's happening and what's going well. You know, in 2000, by 2009, 10, we were looking at the, the state, northern state of Bihar. Uh, and uh, lowest percentage of Christianity in India, that state, uh, that you also know well, I, I, I believe. And, and yet, when you look at 110 million people, the 2010 census, 110 million people, even a, a, a minuscule, a tiny percentage of evangelicals was a huge army. I think it was 0.06% at that time, the 2010 census were Christian. 
But we did the math and that was something like 54,000 believers, those who had claimed Christ as Lord. Mm. Our task from that time wasn't how do we share with 110 million? Our task was how do we put seed into the hand of 54,000 seed sowers? Mm. One of those trainings we did at that time, we went and there were 18 young men in their 20s and a brother named MK who had gathered them. And uh, I remember really spending a lot of time, we had uh, three weeks together, a lot of time just on what is the gospel. Not sure that uh, half of them were regenerate, had understood the gospel from mm. outside my perspective and, and teaching them how to begin to chew on the word and feed themselves in order to feed others. And, and uh, you know, 10 years go by and uh, we were, this same network that has resulted in many different streams of generations of churches. There's three districts in Bihar that their vision statement these days, that there'd be no village left without a healthy church. Mm -hmm. You think about some of these villages, these districts with 1,500 or 2,000 villages in a district of Bihar, literally mm -hmm. to people. And they're, they're taking such ownership of the flow and the, the, the tracking of the gospel, the discipling of those new believers, the, the health of those churches and the diagnosis of health and the addressing the issues there, whether by letter or by personal visit, to see and to actually think through not just a church in every village, but the, 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 how do we assess the churches to see that they're healthy? Mm -hmm. Literally thousands of villages and have such an auda audacious faith to say we would want to see a church in every village. The mapping, the research, the sense of stewardship related to release in order that they can and empowerment, they can get to the next village. An entire army raised up that mm -hmm. are owning that vision, owning that health, that definition of sustainability and health. Uh, because they own the, the New Testament, because they own the word of God, God and a sense of stewardship of what, mm. what the groom expects for the bride. And then that vision is theirs. No village left without a healthy church. Uh, mm. Cindy, here's my story. All of that's the intro. Here's the story. I haven't worked or navigated with that network in five years. The story is they own the vision, they own the task, they own the process, and where the Spirit of God is using the Word, the, the sword of the Spirit, they're, they're owning the kingdom. They're doing and pursuing the work yeah. before the Lord, who sees and knows all, knows the motives of their heart, and is multiplying through them. Mm, well, that's, beautiful. That's the goal, right? That's the vision that of any cultural worker, that what could be handed over could be owned locally and stewarded locally, even uh, resources beyond any of our capacity mobilized uh, to carry on and, and pursue the vision. Well, in that, again, just like there was with Israel in a single neighborhood across entire regions, uh, by God's grace, uh, the kingdom only knows advance, you know? Mm. Oh, I love it. And yeah, we are, as cross-cultural workers, we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. And um, when when we see something like that go far beyond, and I could say the same of uh, the first 
work that we started in Nepal. We haven't been involved in it in even yeah. longer than five years, but it mm -hmm. continues to grow and it is theirs and it's not ours in any way, shape or form. A lot of people in that, in that movement have never even heard of us. And mm -hmm. that's the way we want it to be. Um, it's so beautiful because it's become theirs and they're carrying mm -hmm. it forward. So yeah. to your point earlier, you're famously infamous, you know? Right. You've been able yes. to give it away and it truly demonstrated ownership locally. And that's that's the goal of any cross culture. Yeah. I love it. And and yet God used you um, by by being that person who said, Hey, we have a resource here of fifty-four thousand people that right. if we can get the gospel into their hands and train them and you recognize them as a resource. And um, that's, that's a really important part, you know, that, that I think there's pastors who have people in their churches who are a resource that they haven't yet seen, yeah. you know, um, yeah. they haven't yet seen that they have all these people sitting in those pews who, if they could be equipped, How they could see them. That's right. And, yeah. and, and so over and over again, just a rereading, a look again at the word we might hold in high esteem, we might recognize as sufficient, but how often do we read it from a, a missional equipping, mobilizing viewpoint? You know, uh, we say this a lot, Cindy, the, you read the book of Colossians, and I was trained, even under my father's ministry, right, who's a, a pastor to this day in the U.S., I was trained, when you read Colossians, you sit in the seat of the Colossians, and you're instructed by Paul. That's totally appropriate. But that's not the whole picture. You can also read Colossians, a church that Paul has never been to, that was planted through a disciple, presumably Epaphras, and you can read from the perspective of the disciple maker, and you can learn how to equip, you can learn how to diagnose, you can learn how to mobilize and empower other voices like Epaphras, and, though, and call Colossians to stewardship, to, to local ownership of what Christ expects of them from the mm -hmm. disciple maker, from the even cross-cultural worker, from the missionary who's exited. It's okay to read from Paul's seat as well. So a constant mm -hmm. reading of the scripture uh, that, that is your source of confidence uh, to be able to release. If it depends on you, by God's grace, do your addition. If you, it depends on God and God works as the head, his word is sufficient for them to the Colossians, uh, the potential to multiply. We're still in process, aren't we? We're still rereading and learning. I was talking yesterday with somebody who just arrived uh, to the field, some of their first efforts in cross-cultural work, and just be a learner. Learn from the word. Reread your Bible. Reread. It's sufficient for this season, this new task the Lord's put in front of you, cross-cultural mission. And if you've got it figured out in your 20s, my goodness, your 30s and 40s are going to be boring. That's <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think the older I get, the more I realize how much more I still have to learn. And um, yeah, I'm so glad. What a joy it is to learn and grow. And I think when we stop learning, we're we're dead, you know, <laughs> dead in the water at least as far as multiplication and things God wants to do. 
But like myself, Nathan, you've been around in this disciple-making movement, church planning movement. We used to call it uh, granddaughter churches. You know, we've evolved, you and I, with the, the different terminologies. And um, let me just ask you, as somebody who's been around a while, what, what really excites you about what God's doing as far as DMM, CPMs, multiplication, micro churches, whatever uh, terminology you want to use right now? Wow. Well, uh, let me just see. Date, we'll date ourselves a little bit by saying uh, some of what we heard in the early days, the conversation around movements and multiplication, church planning movements, uh, disciple making movements as well. The, you know, uh, nothing is new under the sun. One of the things that's happened, like we, we were celebrating just before the call, our brother Steve Addison, for example, looking at and examples of multiplication movement across church history, that mm. there's always been this remnant that multiplies, that pushes the gospel and kingdom forward. There's, there's no way Christianity is a global religion without that multiplication, right? Mm. Um, and meanwhile, a lot of what was in, we were introduced to early in the conversation around church planning movements were, were real-time, first, you know, decade case studies. Mm -hmm. that we, there, there was no doubt God was doing something that was far beyond the work and the control of the cross-cultural work. When local believers began to own and steward and, and, and multiply uh, witness and, and even churches. And along the way, um, in some cases, we read some of those early writings, and there's, there's a truth that says, uh, make disciples and churches will happen. There's something intrinsic in the calling and the indwelling of the spirit, whereby a believer is compelled to gather, compelled to pursue kingdom community. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the glue, right? The spirit, like Ephesians 4, one spirit, one body. And he, he does compel that, give that impulse. Uh, along the way, uh, learning and cutting our teeth in the book of Acts, we, we're constantly wrestling in those epistles, those letters of Paul these days. And as a cross-cultural worker, it's such a challenge uh, to think about the intentionality, the willingness from outside that the church planner, the Apostle Paul, had to speak into churches through his letters that he had already left, that he had departed. In absentia, he writes the letters. If he hadn't left, we wouldn't have the letters, right? He would have done the work there locally. And yet uh, he does that in a way without taking ownership from them. He's able to speak directly into the Corinthian church, for example, uh, talking about lawsuits and talking about morality and talking about the gospel uh, and even doctrine of in chapter 15 and 16 of the resurrection. Uh, but he's also able in chapter 11 to talk about Lord's Supper and some of the excess or spiritual mm -hmm. gifts, chapter 12, 13 and 14, and see about balance and diagnosis even in absentia, even after mm -hmm. he's left. And for me, that's such a that's such a road of discovery and and a challenge because our default in, in mission strategy is indigeneity. We want to see locals owning, theologizing, and yet from outside, Paul could be directive without taking ownership back from the Corinthians. So he's constantly mm. telling them, "You expel the." Or you stop getting drunk on the Lord's Supper, you know? You stop edifying only yourself with your gifts. So the impetus for correction was always on the Corinthians. 
Now, what does that have to do with CPM theory or, or what we're learning about disciple making movements? We're now two, three decades on still surfing and working in some of those same original case studies that we were learning from. Mm. And we're, we're trying to, the art more than the science, trying to bring directive instruction without robbing indigenous, without robbing local ownership. Mm. And these networks, these movements that they more than just exist, they're, they're maturing. They're, mm. The maturation is there now, two, three decades of that sense of ownership and wrestling with their worldview and with their practice, with their thinking about God, their doctrine, and with their hands, their work for the Lord and their practice. Uh, every bit of the maturity we'd want to see and we would envision from those early days is there locally. Now then, what is the work of the cross-cultural worker post-exit? When ownership is in place, how do we relate to them? And truly, uh, it doesn't seem, it's, it's a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a different chair than the pioneer work. And yet, in the midst of multiplication, in the midst of movements, we're seeing confessions of faith, doctrinal expressions emerging from some of these networks that are every bit as beautiful as some of the historic confessions of faith coming out of the mm. Western world. Mm. For that matter, demonstrating ownership, the washing of their own worldview and the thinking about God coming out of Hinduism or Islam or even Buddhism and beginning to rethink an understanding and statements related to the triune God or, or his work in the world and salvation or through the church, the beauty of his word. Uh, even in that, we shift chairs from the pioneering work a little bit, but but the investment in, that is maturation, oh, these movements not just exist, uh, and uh, give them another generation, they're leading leading Christendom in so, mm. so many ways uh, toward the next century uh, with fidelity and mm. with orthodoxy, right? The, the commitment, the truth, and consistency with the first teachings and a mm. re of orthopraxy, the commitment and investment stewardship of the first practices of the church as well. Uh, the next century, should the Lord tarry, uh, exciting days for the church globally. Yeah. Well, what I, just to summarize, Nathan, because um, you said a lot of things there, and I'm kind of a simple, simple person, but what I hear you saying, tell me if I'm hearing you right, is that what's exciting is that these movements are maturing. Right. And they're they're stewarding the word of the Lord, and God is revealing things to them um, mm. in their own context and worldview. That that um, now the role of the cross cultural worker is different in working with these movements, but um, yeah. it's still it's really exciting. And even in the global perspective, over these last decades, a lot of what the cross cultural worker did was disseminate information, the learning that's coming from these movements. Mm. and where and what and why. Uh, my point also, in, as those movements mature, they're finding their own voice. Mm. There's no doubt they're going to have the, have the proverbial microphone in their hand teaching the rest of the Christendom, the rest of the Christian community globally, uh, what they're learning from the word. And we're going to find that it's orthodox. We're going to find that it's consistent with right, first right. 
Very yeah, strong. and I think it's going to help us. <laughs> it is helping us. I and I I find that really exciting as well. It's it's uh, I see more openness of churches in the West to learn from what God is doing in the global South than I've ever seen in my years in missions. And that that's super exciting to me, um, partly because, you know, having lived in the global South, I think, yes, of course, they have something to teach us. But also as a Westerner, it's like, yes, I think this brings hope. That there yes, can be no life. Yeah. Freshness, right? Uh, uh, and, and it's an evidence that that's that same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When that's the right. diversity of voices went truly, Ephesians 3, when the ethne are called in the administration of this mystery, they're, as they're engrafted and they're held up, the manifold wisdom of God, even in the heavenlies, right? Ephesians 3, mm. testimony they give is beautiful and fresh. And it's evidence that this isn't... Uh, uh, a Western religion. This isn't, uh, how to say, uh, a kingdom that can be monopolized. No, it's all the nations being gathered. Well, we're marching right toward that Revelation 7 vision, that Revelation 5 vision that nation, tribes, peoples, and languages are giving praise and honor. And they're doing that in their maturity. They're doing that in ways that every other nation is learning from them. That's uh, right. Beautiful. Mm. So good. Yeah. Well, I also have to ask the reverse question. So what, uh, what concerns you? You know, I know there's, there's things that you maybe are seeing as things develop. What, what are some of the concerns you might have that, that people can be praying for or aware of as they're thinking about disciple multiplication? You know, any of the concerns are probably already hidden in some of the commentary I've given. Uh, this is a chance to be less subtle, right? Now, what yep. I just said a few minutes ago, even in theologizing, even as they wrestle with doctrine, the role of the cross-cultural worker, uh, how to invest or bring intentionality to church health without taking and robbing ownership. Well, there, I celebrated that, but, I, but obviously that's the warning. That's the concern also. Uh, over time, where... The impetus and the, the motive for multiplication for gospel seed sowing or disciple making has been owned locally, all the more guided, perhaps, the epistles, the letters of Paul instructing and teaching from outside, but the responsibility being owned locally remains a catalyst for church formation the same way it did for mobilization and seed sowing. Mm. How do we, from the West, learning more, learning from movements, uh, I'm speaking of my own culture here for a second, but I imagine it's a global reality. The ego, the ethnocentrism, the idea that we know best from outside and we will do for you. Uh, dependence, Cindy, is so much more than just finance conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Authority, responsibility, uh, the who can and who can't of the kingdom. So often from outside, we grab a hold of that. Now, we often do that with finance, mm -hmm. you know, funding this or that. And that's where all the books are written and missions and cross-cultural when helping hurts, that type of thing. I get mm -hmm. it. But that's also true related to who can, can't uh, lead a church, who can and who can't teach the word of God, who can and who can't host a church or make disciples or share the gospel. And from outside, Maybe necessarily, as our cultural leaning in the West is more and more seems liberal, that we are very conservative in our outlook. And that's, there's a value there. Uh, 
But let's remember that Christ is the head and he superintends his body. The word of God is living and active. It's in the hand of the spirit who does his work. That, that it's not our job to run in and again, take hold and monopolize some aspect of the kingdom and related to maturity or health. And that's, that's one of the concerns. The more these movements and multiplication at the edge come online and are, are available or, or transparent or even accessible with the Western world, Will we retain that posture of learning or will we default to some of our own cultural trapping, try to monopolize, try to take hold of and own those works and the kingdom mm. of God won't be owned. Mm. The kingdom of God is to be unleashed. So we mm. need to be careful how and where we introduce the dependence. And I'm not just talking finance. I'm talking even authority or the assumption of authority based on some uh, culturally preferred uh, qualification, equipping, and theological education, we see how that works. When networks of local leaders are, are writing their own confessions of faith, uh, does it require the formal historical theological system and institution that we've invested in the past, or are we willing to let them create and devise new forms of theological teaching and instruction, even mobilization and sending as it's being owned by these movements to send workers around the world. They're going to have to follow our path for institutional and uh, development. And, and those newer missions are going to have to, to work through uh, tax compliance and all that is the Western. <laughs> right. Or from everywhere to everywhere, the gospel will be unchained. And, and yeah. we've got to think through our, Every component of that task I mentioned earlier mm. uh, to churches mobilizing and sending again. How do we simplify to avoid dependence? How do we avoid running in, rushing in and taking ownership back from those mm. who really own and steward the essential elements of the kingdom? That's our task. And there's much mm. more thinking to do. Mm. Even mm. where thinking is done, there's much more application to pursue. Mm, yeah, and and getting their voices into uh, those conversations, I think, is really critical as well. Yeah, um, yeah uh, so good. Thank you for sharing that. And there are challenges ahead, but the same Jesus who is with us as we are beginning some of these journeys and processes, he's going to walk with us. And yeah. Um, I know he's going to provide those answers. Well, our time has gone really fast. I can't believe we're mm -hmm. almost to an hour, Nathan. But um, yeah, lastly, maybe what advice would you have for someone who's just beginning their journey? Maybe they're listening and disciple multiplication is something they've recently heard about. They're mm -hmm. just starting this journey. What, what kind of advice would you have for them? Oh, goodness. Uh, pray. Living <laughs> <Maybe laughs> life in the word. Uh, look for a community of practice that challenges maybe assumptions cross-culturally. Again, it's those blind spots that amount to barriers at times in my own story. Uh, and uh, again, hopefully the desire, the posture of learning now also uh, that our 50s and 60s might not default to that boring state I mentioned earlier that we continue to learn because uh, constantly the Lord stretching and challenging our thinking. Uh, my suggestion um, Reread your New Testament. Mm. Read it from the perspective of the disciple maker. Listen to those who 
have gotten to a place, uh, the wrestling match of giving it away, of dying to self, if you call it that, uh, pushing others forward. Look for that community who's truly trying to empower others and then be a learner. Mm. There's no, there's no, uh, no shortcuts in that regard. And, and uh, it, it depends on the spirit and his word to show us those blind spots, right? That uh, mm. uh, you're, you're way more set in your ways than you think you are, you know? <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> so, and then uh, I, I would just say stick to it. The, mm. One of the criticisms even globally is this notion that, the, that these movements or multiplication is some flash in the pan, some shortcut to ministry. Oh, no. I'm talking to a sister who's given her life to this. I'm talking to a sister decade plus ago was investing in the, the school of frontier mission was teaching and equipping this very topic that I was describing. How do we organize in order to send? Uh, I think uh, every one of us is in process. And Cindy, you know, uh, my first calling to preach the word uh, evangelism, my wife's definite skill and gifting that matter of seed sowing, but mm -hmm. where even as you think about those components of the missionary task, entry, gospel, discipleship, church formation, leadership development, almost every great commission effort starts with an agenda for one of those topics. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, your FTT, pioneering, how do, we, how do we engage the unreached, unengaged people's entry strategy? Or how much have we all benefited from campus with the Jesus film, uh, seed sowing? or the four mm. spiritual laws, right? Seed sowing. But you look at Campus Crusade, for example, they've been faithful in seed sowing and they're constantly asking questions about disciple making and church formation these days. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the Lord has blessed their seed sowing and he's, the Lord leads them through a process. Mm -hmm. uh, I celebrate the DTS with YWAM, that incredible discipleship uh, tool that YWAM has campaigned for generations now in disciple making great how what does church look like and what are the next empty fields and every one of us enters through one of those components of the mm -hmm. mission task even pastor teacher organizations designed to teach and instruct pastors or theological education great you enter in through one of those components of the missionary task and if you're faithful and fruitful over time by god's grace you'll find yourself in this process Mm -hmm. about entry that leads to gospel seed sowing that is the essential for to lead to disciple making and church formation and how that whole process rolls over when churches begin to sin well uh, read your bible for that process and you'll see it it's not mm -hmm. not us reading it in it's just it's repeated as a pattern over and over in the new testament mm -hmm. uh, consider your own giftings by God's grace, you find yourself on that missionary task. Maybe you entered through seed sowing, a, a passion for, for gospel presentation. Maybe someone discipled you well and you have a passion for disciple making. Awesome. The Lord has put you in the game and expanding his kingdom. Now let's think about this idea of a process because if you're a faithful disciple maker, how are you going to form churches? How are you going to release? How are they going to sin? How are they going to share? This process rolls over and over again for all of us. Hmm. Uh, then if, if that's what I mean by we're all in process and we're all still learning, right? So good. So good. Well, it's been wonderful to have this chance to talk with you. I know there may be some who'd like to be in touch. Um, can sure. people contact you or how, where do they get your resources or things that you've written? Yeah, that's the most challenging question you've given so far. 
uh, I, I, let's just let's just say uh, a Google search for four fields, or go okay. to YouTube and and do a search for for four fields, or sometimes even Nathan Shank church planting. And again, you're gonna most likely it won't be me on the screen, but there's all types of resources out there related to this church planting illustration, the four fields. Uh, related to and, and real-time stories of people pursuing the kingdom, trying to reproduce disciples in churches. Uh, almost all of that we recommend. Okay, vouch for everything that's out there. I will say, uh, just for getting started, uh, on YouTube, a search that says uh, Discovering the Missionary Task, a series for the first time we tried to put up of our own to just five and ten-minute discovery studies for you and your disciples to get started. Discovering the Missionary Task. If you search that on YouTube, you'll find it there, and it's fresh, uh, even though uh, hopefully the truths are uh, eternal, you know? Yeah, awesome. Well, I will put a link to that YouTube. I'll search it for people so that they can get that. We'll put that in the show notes. And Nathan, thank you so much. What a joy to reconnect with you again. And I know it's been a real blessing to me and to those who've been listening. Me as well. After so many years running different course, different targets, and find ourselves right still on the same task, that's joy, sister. You're doing well. Keep it up. Thank you. God bless. Okay. Bye for now. Imagine a world where passionate followers of Jesus come together to multiply, transforming lives beyond imagination. Instead of toiling with little fruit, what if God's abundance flowed beyond your wildest dreams? Picture those you've invested in sharing Jesus freely creating a ripple effect of disciple-making. In her new book, The Multiplier's Mindset, Cynthia Anderson reveals how shifting mindsets can revolutionize disciple-making. When Cynthia and her colleagues experienced these mindset shifts, they saw enormous results including the launching of 19 multiplying movements in African and Asia, transforming tens of thousands of lives. This book will help you discover hidden harvesters, see church members move from passivity to passion, and release the power of simplicity in multiplying disciples. Don't remain stuck. Learn to move toward greater fruitfulness. Visit MultipliersMindset.com and get your copy of The Multiplier's Mindset today. Wow, so much richness in what Nathan has shared with us in this episode. And I just want to give you a quick recap and we'll look at an action step as we move forward. Nathan talked about how God delights in using the lowly to multiply his kingdom in that beautiful story about Israel, the street sweeper. And um, let's remember that God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And then we also talked about how movements are maturing around the world. And there's much that they have to share with us that we have to learn from them globally and around the world as these movements are developing their own confessions of faith, as they're developing their own doctrinal statements. And um, they have much, they're actually going to be leading us in Christendom and we have much to learn. Um, the kingdom of God is not something any denomination or person or uh, country can own. It's, it's not to be owned. It's to be unleashed. I loved that statement that he made. Um, then we also, he gave some advice for those of us who are just starting out that we should reread the New Testament with the eyes of a disciple maker and how we're, as we reread it, we're going to see the cycle that he was talking about, the empty field, 
the gospel sowing, the disciple making taking place, the gathering into churches, the leadership development, and then the re repetition of that cycle over and over. And then his advice again, and I, I love it so, so much. Something I say all the time as well is stick with it stick with it. Those who want to see movements launch need to learn perseverance and don't give up. You may try and fail and try and fail again, but as you, if you stick with it, you're going to see more and more things released and more and more disciples are going to be made and multiplied. So hang in there. All right, here's your action step. I want you to look for somebody who's from a different culture than you. If you are a Nigerian who's listening or you're an Asian, look for somebody who's from a different culture than you. Um, and particularly someone from a global South culture. So think of somebody that you know who's from a different culture and ask them about what their experience with Jesus has been. Learn from them. Let's, let's be intentional about taking a learning posture to learn from the global South, to learn from people of other cultures and what their experience of Jesus, their experience of knowing him has been and um, position ourselves to receive and to be a learner. And uh, we, we may know many things. Maybe you're listening and you've been a pastor for 40 years, but there are things that he still wants to teach you, things that he still wants, God still wants us to learn. And he often wants to bring those, maybe from a street sweeper, maybe from somebody who the, eye, the, the eyes of the world would say is lowly, but there's someone who's powerful in God. What can you learn from them this week? God bless you guys. And we will be back next week with the Dare to Multiply podcast once again. Have a great week. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.